Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, last podcast of the year listeners. That is correct. This is the last episode of the year, but we will get right back on it as soon as that uh, calendar flips to a whole new year. It's, I guess it's a whole new calendar, really. You can say the year. 20... I don't know what year it is, to be honest. I think we're in the. <laughs> we'll just cut it in in post. I'll just do it in post. 2024. There we go. It's in there. Two, zero, two, zero, four. Wait, oh, wait. Too many zeros. <laughs> I don't know what calendar you're using, but I recommend you throw it away. Okay. Unless it's um, filled with delicious chocolate, because a lot of calendars this time of year are. So check beforehand. That's probably why I don't know what day of year it is because I'm just I'm just ripping through those things eating other chocolate. How old is your son? How many <laughs> so, how many, how many your, chocolate bars? How many of your years has he been alive now? <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I'm just I'm just lost in a days of Advent calendar chocolate. Sammy's using like a pre-Gregorian calendar that's based, I guess, on the harvest schedule or yeah, seasonal so schedule. There's nothing really happening, I guess. It's semi-moon derived. Semi. Or as we like to call it, waning. Waning. Or waxing? Waning. I, I can't tell. I mean, Maybe. all I know is too many zeros. Um, that is the voice of my friend, my fellow automotive journalist and very good friend, Benjamin Hunting. You can find his work all over the internet. Ben, give him a scoop. Sure, you can find it at Inside Hook, at Motor Trend, and at Haggerty. And you can find my work at Driving.ca, Autotrader.ca, and Nouveau Magazine. Um... Generally, we talk about cars on this podcast, right? Yeah, I wanted to start out with something that uh, is kind of funny that happened to me yesterday. Um, as some of you know, I'm a fan of the movie Days of Thunder. Uh, if you haven't seen Days of Thunder, you should probably check it out. Directed by Tony Scott. It's from the early 90s. It's it's about NASCAR and it stars Tom Cruise. But really, the, the real star of the movie is Robert Duvall, who gets to say all sorts of crazy, wacky, um, old school mechanic stuff. Um, with a straight face. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I hadn't watched... So, Days of Thunder, Sammy, you know those movies where, like, back in the days yeah. when I had cable or when I used to be in a lot of hotels, you know those movies where you're, you're scanning the channels and you'd find a movie and then you would just watch it for a while? Yeah, of course. This is one of them, for sure. Yeah, this is definitely one of them. So what that means is I've seen Days of Thunder many times, but mm -hmm. always in bits and pieces. And I, I can't remember the last time I sat down and watched the whole thing start to finish. So I, I had missed the opening credits... Oh, it probably decades or you yeah. know, since I had seen them. So I'm watching it last night and the movie opens up where they are. Um, it's set at Daytona and it's like, I guess they were filming in 91 or something like that because they actually went to these tracks and filmed with the cars on the track. Anyway, they're panning around the infield and they have all these people with, you know, American flags and um, flags of their favorite drivers and stuff. And then the panning stops at one RV and flying over the top of the RV is a San Air flag. San Air. And I had to pause it and I'm like, what am I looking at here? Because San Air is the name of the drag strip that is closest to me where I live in Quebec. <laughs> okay. And so at, at that time, it I, I'm not sure if they still had in the 80s, they used to run NHRA top fuel up there. Uh, it was eventually banned for environmental reasons. No more top fuel in Quebec, but there's still a lot of drag racing at this track. The thing is, it's pretty much as far away from Daytona as you can get. <laughs> yeah. And they had the winged logo and everything. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And and 
I, I couldn't believe it. And I guess what happened was they just had some people from San Air, Quebec or St. P, which is where it's located. And, uh, who had gone down to Daytona for that weekend and were camping in the infield and were flying the flag. And I, I mentioned this to a friend of mine who's also, who's also like me driven at San Air. And he, I was like, wow, I saw this in Days of Thunder. He's like, yeah, you know, it's always been there. I've always known that. And I'm like, am I the last person in Quebec <laughs> to know about the, the Days of Thunder connection? Are you sure it wasn't you? What do you mean? What wasn't me? You weren't at Daytona with your San Air flag? I would have been like 12, 11 years old. So what? No. You don't think you would have done that? I've never been to Daytona. <gasps> we got to change that. This have you been to year. Daytona? Um, no, no, but I'm no, I wouldn't be there. You had to think about it. I haven't no, I been to Florida so. in a while. The last time I was in Florida. Oh, that's Florida, true. I haven't been. I also have not been in Florida for a while. <laughs> the last time I was in Florida, I believe I was in Miami. And I believe it yeah, was likewise. for. No, no, no. That's not true. I was going to say it was for the launch of the Honda HRV in like 2017. And that was in Miami. So the, that was an odd event because. My, Florida doesn't have a lot of great driving roads in the southern part. Like a lot of stuff is very 90 degrees. Flat and um, 90 degrees. Flat yes. and 90 degree corners. Um, and traffic. Yeah. At least in like the, the cities. So there's not often a lot of events in Florida. But mm-hmm. the last time I was in Florida was actually for the launch of the X7, which is a vehicle I'm driving right now. And we drove from, I'm trying to remember the name of the capital of Florida. Sam, you're going to have to help me out with this. The capital of Florida? Yeah. Uh, should I just Google it? <laughs> I mean, if that's what it takes. Um, Jacksonville? No. no, Tallahassee. Tallahassee. We drove from Tallahassee to Baton Rouge. And yeah, we did that drive. along the coastal highway, which sounds a lot more fun than it is because the route that we were on... It basically kept us on the interstate the entire time. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There were a couple of times where I was like, okay, I've never been to Mississippi. I need to pull off the road and like check stuff out and have a, have some frozen custard and just hang out. So we did that a couple of times, but it was mostly a straight shot across the, the Gulf. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it wasn't super memorable as a drive, unfortunately. I liked the vehicle, but I wish we'd done a little bit more locally. Uh, but yeah, that's the last time I was in Florida. So that was probably 2018. I don't remember my, when the X7 came out, but it had to have been around then. My understanding of Florida events, I, I mean, I went to a Miami event where they just took a tarp off a GV70, I think, or GV60. No, GV80. That was the one. And that was it. <laughs> they took us home what, after that. What did you do the rest of, the, of your time there? We Nothing. We looked at the sun and then we had some, some Cuban food, I guess. And then uh, we got sent home. All right. Well, now that we've gone down this trip of both Hollywood Wait, wait, and- wait, wait. Hold on, though, Ben. There are a million movies that are like Days of Thunder that are like obscure. There are about some like... I don't think Days of Thunder is obscure. I mean, sorry, not obscure. There are more obscure kind of Days of Thunder-esque movies. And there's actually a lot more car content kind of movies coming out. Like, oh, you're getting there's dangerously this close to star cars here. I know, Sammy. I know. But there is like... There, we should eventually have like... We should have another... another A watch-along maybe with the with some of these weird movies. A lot of people have been saying that this Ferrari movie is actually quite good. I think Adam Driver's in it. So I've if you've seen that, that movie... Too, but I, I've, been, I've been burned before by... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and there was a grand, there was a whole Gran Turismo movie we never even talked about on the zero podcast. Zero interest in that. I, I watched the trailer for that movie, and I felt like I'd seen the entire movie in like two and yeah. a half minutes. 
You know, like it was the longest trailer I think I've ever seen in in this year. It was like those movie trailers from the seventies that were like five minutes long, where they wanted you to know everything that was going to happen. I don't understand the marketing behind that, but it really felt like <laughs> like an old school trailer in that way. Like I went on an emotional journey with the main character, whose name I didn't even know. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, we'll do a watch along or something like that, maybe in the new year, as we struggle to find new ways to two engage zero, our listeners. Two zero four. <laughs> watch for that watch along 200 years from now what are we talking about this week i've got a new mercedes to talk about this week it is the 2024 mercedes-benz gle 450e with the at the end of that one um i believe actually it's called the gle 450e formatic maybe but do you think they call it 450e because the lexus hybrid is called the 450h and there's a copyright issue Uh, maybe i suppose that's a possibility um, and this that's a really good car to bring up. The 450H Plus, I think, is the one that uh, best lines up with the GLE 450E. The plug-in, is that what you're saying? Yes, because this model is a plug-in hybrid, Okay. Um, which I don't think was available in last year's model. It has the straight six, right? No, actually, it has a four-cylinder turbo. Oh, that's interesting. So the combined output of this four-cylinder turbo is 381 horsepower. And um, you also get a ton of torque here. I think 400 and I had it. As usual, I immediately turned like closed all of my tabs to not distract myself. Because whenever. why would you be prepared for the only thing you had to do tonight? Four hundred and seventy-nine pound-feet of torque. That's a lot from a four-cylinder. Well, no, it's the combined. It's the combined torque of the uh, of the horsepower and of the um, internal combustion motor and the electric motor. Even still, that's a pretty big number. My, my, so I three eighty. 381 combined and 479 combined, which is a pretty good number, yes. I have a question for you right off the bat. Hit me. How smooth does this four-cylinder feel? Hmm. It feels pretty good. I don't, I didn't have um, too many complaints about that um, in any way or form. I actually felt that the car was, was really responsive. Mercedes actually suggests that this car would go 0 to 60 in 5.8 seconds, which is quick given how big this car is and the size of the motor under the hood. Um, and it's also worth pointing out that this car delivers 48 miles of electric range, which I think is pretty good too. Uh, I, I just, you said 48 miles of electric. I, I got to kind of push back on 5.8 seconds to 60 being quick for a 480 pound foot vehicle. Like that kind of indicates that this is a very, very heavy truck. Yes. So this is where I have to start talking about the car in, in depth here. Okay. Because, um, I really enjoyed driving this vehicle while it was um, equipped with the uh, – while I had battery range in it, okay? Okay. But as soon as I opted to use, like, the preserve battery mode um, or I had the depleted battery, the fuel economy on this car really kind of started creeping up there. Um, they suggest that it would be a combined 20 th- 24 miles per gallon. Okay. Which I don't think is very competitive. Well, I mean, for a vehicle with that level of performance, it doesn't sound terrible. I think we got to talk about this, man. Okay. I think we really got to we really got to dive into what's going on here. You I, I mentioned the I mentioned the Lexus, you mentioned the Lexus. Let me see what the Lexus's deal is. Well, the, the Lexus Ford. is nowhere near that powerful. Even the Hybrid Max version that I drove, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I think it's mm-hmm. around 400 pounds feet of torque. So now, it has less range. It has less combined um electric range. What does? Um, the Lexus. Okay. So it's less powerful and has less electric range. But it has yeah, it has like 10 less miles of electric range. Okay. Okay. So which which suggests a smaller battery and a lighter weight. 
but it's significantly more fuel efficient. Um, yeah, it's about 12 miles, uh, maybe we'll say 11 miles per gallon more efficient. And I would say that the price difference between these two vehicles is probably, what, $30,000? No, actually, surprisingly, while the car is fairly um, pricey in Canada, in the U.S., it starts at um, 69000 Okay. And the Lexus, how much would that cost? In- it's got to be sixty-four. Yeah. That's a reasonable, I think that's a pretty reasonable price gap. I, Are they comparably equipped? No, though? man. Holy cow. RX plug-in hybrid starts at 70. Okay. Are they comparably equipped? No, not at all. In yeah. fact, this is the big issue with Mercedes is when you look at an entry-level model for Mercedes, you're looking at um, a surprisingly bare-bones vehicle. My car, for example, did not have adaptive cruise control, which is wild to me. Um there are cars, there are entry level Subarus with adaptive, with standard adaptive cruise control. Yes. Um, to not have it in a $70,000 SUV, it seems like a, like an oversight. I don't know if it's an oversight so much as it is a little bit of, a little bit cynical. It's what they, they just know that people are going to pay for, pay yes, for the, exactly. The, yeah. Or are they trying to suggest that their drivers, their owners, like to drive themselves everywhere, right? No, even in the most so. tedium, <laughs> even in the most tedious highway traffic. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, the reality of the GLE is I used to be a really big fan of the GLE, but that time has kind of passed. And I think that there are a lot of midsize or full-size SUVs that are that have surpassed it, even with the this latest refresh. Um, as the vehicle has gotten a few more, you know, design, design tweaks here and there, um, and, uh, and, you know, an upgraded infotainment system, I'm not, uh, I'm just not falling for it as much as I used to. I used to. What's holding you back? Like, what's the biggest issue? It's just the competition, I think, really is better. Uh, and that's not just the Lexus that I think is one of the better Lexuses on the market. I think the RX plug-in hybrid is quite good. I also think that if you're not shopping for um, a plug-in vehicle, or maybe you are, we have talked about the X5 plug-in vehicle, yes. plug-in electric on the on the podcast before. Yeah. I think you were very, very high up on that. I definitely like it. That's the 45E, I think. Mm-hmm. I haven't driven the plug-in version of it, but I have driven all other versions of the X5, and I came away super impressed. I think these cars just feel and look fantastic. Um, and then there's also the Koreans, the the GV80, which doesn't offer a plug-in hybrid version, but just quality-wise and feel um, feels just as good as a as a Mercedes should. Now that's my issue is that I think Mercedes has shown that they can do better, that they can be comp- they can be competitive, and there are just small things here and there that just make the car feel a little mundane and mainstream, um, and confusing. Why? Like again, why am I missing such a I think an important feature? such as adaptive cruise control in this vehicle, right? Yeah, I mean, I, we, there was. I remember it being a big deal when the Sierra Denali didn't have adaptive cruise control um, just a couple of years ago, and they ended up doing like a dramatic refresh of the entire interior to, to bring everything up to spec. Uh, so when you're talking about a Mercedes not having that feature, particularly a very expensive Mercedes, or at least a, a more expensive model of the GLE, um, it, it doesn't really feel like a defendable position. Now, that is not to say that it it is really Spartan. It actually has quite a lot of features. As I mentioned, it has the newest generation of MBUX or MBUX. Um, I think we complained recently about um, this infotainment system. I had issues with it in the GLC. 
um, a few months ago where it just like froze up the screen, wouldn't do Android Auto properly. Um, and I'm happy to say I didn't have any of those issues this time around in the GLE. Um, additionally, I uh, this new ve vehicle has updated steering wheel controls. And I really think this is something we need to talk about. Steering wheel controls in some vehicles have gotten way out of hand, right? <laughs> what do you mean by out of hand? Is that there's, a pun? Well, no. There's way too many things going on on steering wheels. And Mercedes in particular has put a lot of touch-sensitive buttons on um, the steering wheel. Yeah, I'm not, have put, I'm not a fan of that at all. And have put some features that I don't think need to be touch-sensitive or need gestures, like um, volume controls or, or even... Um, just regular cruise control settings, like having to swipe up to add to to change the speed of your cruise control, which I thought was a little um, frustrating. I think that any kind of first, I think that when you're driving a vehicle and you're using a steering wheel, you should not be looking down at the steering wheel. You should be looking at the road, right? You're engaged mm -hmm. in the act of driving. So I feel like the controls that are on a steering wheel should provide some type of feedback to you that they've actually been pushed. Like a, a traditional button does that. You can feel it click under your fingers. You know that it's been it's been properly activated. But when you're talking about touch controls, you have to look down to see if a light is activated or you have to look over to whatever system you're interacting with to make sure that the button is actually working. And then if you're wearing gloves, I mean, it all goes out the window. Right. And um, and I also just, yeah, I think maybe swiping or movement of your fingers on a panel, panel on the steering wheel is is actually distracting. I think it takes sort of effort away from from the, the, the act of holding onto the steering wheel. And, and it doesn't add anything. That's the no, other thing. It's is weird, there's no right? advantage to this kind of behavior. Right. Um, one of the funnier parts about this car is it has the Hey Mercedes style um, virtual assistant. I use this to do things like change the ambient lighting whenever I felt like it. Um, and that was pretty much it. I'm sure there's far more practical uses for this. You could probably but... schedule a doctor's appointment. You could uh, write a will. You could get in touch with a notary, <laughs> get that done. Um, maybe you could get something cool for your son from Amazon. Yeah, perhaps. I didn't do any of that. Like a is shirt okay? with his own face on it? With his hey, own face hey on Mercedes. it. Hey, Mercedes. <laughs> hey, Mercedes, buy my son a shirt with his face on it. That's too much information to the to Mercedes and Amazon. They already have that information, Sammy. That is true. Um, I was impressed with the... Um, I had one of this, these Burmeister surround sound systems. Sounded fantastic. Um, I don't usually comment on, I think, in-car um, audio systems because I think... They can vary from listener to listener. Well, plus, you're just a, you're an AM talk radio guy, so it's, it doesn't really <laughs> yeah. matter. Wow, the bass was fantastic. You're just like, I need one speaker. I need it near my head. <laughs> um, and um, I don't know. I think that that's that's my like overall take is that um, it was good, not great. And I always feel like uh, like some automakers can just they just take a break. Um, and the the GLE feels like a product that took a took a took a bit of a breather while the rest of the competition. Um, outshone it, outshined it, uh, upstaged it. Let's Why say. not both? <laughs> Why not both? Um, I would recommend anybody looking at one of these. Um, first of all, to be to to prioritize charging at home because I think the the mileage that forty eight miles is actually quite good in my opinion, and it was fairly consistent. But uh, it takes a long time to charge while you're at home. And uh, I just plugged into a, into a wall outlet, but I'm sure it'd be much faster to charge it with a level two charger, and that would make more sense. And of course, having some of that some having some of that battery um, and driving the vehicle in hybrid mode was far more efficient and uh, and smoother than just driving it um, 
without without that battery power. Yeah, just well, we talked about the, it in the past, like we had with the the Jeep Wrangler, and the uh, less so with the Grand Grand Cherokee. But you know, dragging mm-hmm. around the weight of the battery pack really does impact your hybrid system when yeah. that battery pack is empty. So I really that's that's my biggest thing about this. Um, it, and of course, also budget all of the trims that you're going to need to buy or, or packages that you're going to need to buy because there's a bajillion of them and it just bumps up the price of the car considerably. So I also drove an SUV this week. Surprise, surprise, uh, given that it's what, 90% of the market now. It's, <laughs> yes. it's something we've talked about in the on the show in the past. It's the 2024 Toyota Grand Highlander. And Sammy, you went to the launch of this vehicle, I want to say about six or seven months ago. Yeah, was that May? Yes. And it was in what, Hawaii? That's right. So you don't really have any memory of the vehicle, right? It's just No, I just hung out in the sun. Just beaches and monkeys and all sorts of fun stuff. Drinks out of fruits. Are there monkeys in Hawaii? I didn't see any, but there could be. I mean, I don't think there are because they'd have to get there somehow, right? I guess. It's an island. It's a series of islands. They can't just take a boat or a plane? A monkey boat? That's crazy. Yeah. I've never heard of anything like They're that. They're very advanced, you know. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, did, I think they're clever. I think they, they know what... like monkey penicillin and like what is it? Man, I watched this. I watched this this documentary, Planet Earth three. You know, Planet Earth. How many Earths are there? <laughs> I watched the first one and I thought it was it that was done. And then there's a second one, and I'm like, as far as I know, there's one Earth. There was that movie. There was that TV show Earth two in the '90s. You remember that? No. No one remembers that. Steven Spielberg tried to make Earth two happen. Nobody watched. I think it was canceled after like six episodes. Yet it's been revived for this series now. (laughs) In this uh, David Attenborough narrated uh, documentary series, there's a clip of these monkeys that would steal tourists' um, stuff and then kind of barter with them. They would like wait for good snacks or something before they give it. They they gave their stuff back. I think you're really, really relying on the goodwill of tourists there. (laughs) That's a situation that could go wrong for so many reasons. I'm telling you, you got to check this up. You got to check the series out. I'm uncomfortable with the idea of multiple Earths. Um, okay, fine. But I, so yeah, so you drove it. Uh, I had not driven it. I had driven a Highlander, of course, uh, because everyone does at one point. And <laughs> the big difference. What do you mean by that? Like it's just inevitable. You it's have a, right, to it's a rite of passage. The Highlander. Yes. There, there can be only one, and now there's two. One of them is six inches longer than the other, and all of that is at the back of the vehicle. It's like five and a half extra inches of foot space or leg space or leg room, I believe, compared to the standard Highlander, which is good if you wanted to use the third row because the regular version of this SUV is tiny, tiny, tiny in the back. Sammy's talked at length about how unusable the third rows can be uh, in, in a lot of these, of these, vehicles? Yeah, yeah, these midsize-ish type SUVs. So the Highlander, mm-hmm. the Grand Highlander, is it's much bigger. You're inside of it and you notice the bulk. And when you look at it, you see the bulk too. You can really see at the rear of the vehicle where they've added on to it. Uh, just in terms, it's also wider and taller, like by two inches. So it's, it's a heftier vehicle. But part of me, I'm not going to talk about it too much because we have talked about it on the show in the past. But part of me is thinking maybe this is what the Highlander should have been from the word go because the third row in the standard Highlander is not that great. The RAV4 is so popular. Why not just go RAV4 to Giant Highlander? Or perhaps, and this is my other suggestion, delete the Sequoia entirely (laughs) and just have the Grind Highlander take over all of that role. Because this thing is bigger inside 
than the Sequoia, which is based on the Tundra. So the interior volume is like just under 100 cubic feet of total cargo. I filled it up with, I still have all these old, these boxes kicking around for moving, Sammy. And I was able to get rid of about half of them by donating them to other people who are moving, who came to pick them up. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like you know, no one really owns an umbrella. It's just, just one <laughs> yeah. umbrella. that It's the same thing with moving boxes. But I had this, like, I had probably conservatively 100 more boxes that were broken down. I needed to take them to the recycling center. So I waited until I had the Grand Highlander. I filled it up and I was able to do that. Um, there's like a weird kind of secret handshake you have to know to flip down the second row captain's chairs it's not as simple as it at first seems there's like three different buttons on those chairs and each of them does something different but similar (laughs) and only one of them allows you to fold it so once i figured that out i was able to fill it up uh pretty good interior room so I, I don't really have any complaints about the utility of the vehicle uh mine was the hybrid model which is the same if you look at the drivetrains the regular Highlander and the Grand Highlander, they're identical until you get to the Hybrid Max, mm-hmm. which is what I had in the Crown a couple of weeks ago, uh, 362 horsepower. And you were very impressed with that powertrain. Yeah, we, don't I, even, we, don't, we don't have to cut a clip from, the, from the, the, that episode. We can just say you liked it. Exactly. Uh, this time I had the regular Hybrid, which is 245 horsepower, but you have the instant on torque from a pair of electric motors in the all-wheel drive system. It was fine. It was absolutely fine. And I got like 28 miles per gallon on the highway, which is fairly impressive for a vehicle this size. It's rated at 32, I think, but I couldn't quite meet that. It was also cold. Uh, That has an impact on efficiency, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I won't belabor this point too much about the vehicle that we already discussed. I think this is a competitive three-row. I think if you're shopping for something like a, uh, a Hyundai Palisade, a Ford Explorer, or maybe a Chevrolet Traverse, which is a little bit bigger. This should probably be on your list because in hybrid form, because I think that the efficiency is good, the space is good, and the comfort is absolutely fine. Where I had an issue with it was Mm -hmm. related to the advanced safety systems. And I've had this problem, I discussed it previously when I had the Lexus uh, RX 500H, where the, the day I picked up this car, Sammy, it was snowing like crazy. And like kind of a blizzard, lots of salt and slush. And on the highway home, this covered a lot of the sensors on the vehicle, on the Highlander. And every time that happens, Toyota sends you a little message on the dash that says, such and such a system is no longer available. Whether it's your parking sensors, whether it's your adaptive cruise control, whether it's some kind of um, rear backup assist kind of thing. It it lets you know. So that you click this little button to dismiss the message. And then 30 seconds later you get the same message coming back to you. Have you had this happen? Yeah, uh, it's so frustrating. I've had it on a Lexus as well. And so, yeah, you're driving in some snow uh, or you're getting some ice on some of the sensors and it just pops up, like you're on the highway and it'll pop up on the the cluster and it'll say something like um, sensor blocked, feature unavailable. Click this to cancel. And you you click the OK to dismiss it. And then it comes back in like, I don't know. I don't know if it's a minute or two minutes or five minutes or 30 seconds. It feels like almost instantly. And I'm trying to figure out like, does it want me to stop and wipe this now? I'm getting like three or four of them in a row too. And they're (laughs) like piling on top of each other. And the thing that's annoying about it is it's not even systems I could use on the highway. Like I'm driving (laughs) 65 miles an hour in a snowstorm and it's like your parking assistance is not working. I don't need it to work right now. But what you have to do, and this is, extremely irritating is go find the the system 
that is in, that is the problem and deactivate it. And on the Grand Highlander, that meant I had to go through the dashboard menus on the gauge cluster, which are much smaller, more difficult to interact with using the steering wheel controls that we were just discussing. The Mercedes has a similar thing. And um, the, not all of the systems can be disabled while you're driving. So there were some systems where I just had to deal with having that warning on the screen until I was able to get off the highway, park, put it in park, and then disable the remaining safety systems. This is a design user interface flaw. This is not something that's really acceptable. And there are no other vehicle. Well, most other vehicles do not act in this way. And it is no. seriously distracting while you're driving. What is the... Yeah, so I think, like, what does, what does Toyota expect you to do, right? Like... What is the solution in this situation? Turn off those features, and what if I forget to turn them back on when when those features are? I mean, when those sensors are available. It's true. You, you know, know there's I mean? probably like a lawyer somewhere who's saying we have to keep telling them these systems don't work, or they're going to think they're working and then they're going to crash. But in reality, what you just said is probably the more likely scenario. You turn off the systems and then you never use them again. <laughs> you know, so like you don't go back to that. In pretty complex system of menus to try and find whatever's and and the other thing is too inside the menus it's all acronyms like yeah. acs pdc all this yeah, stuff this is the worst this is, and this is every but this is every automaker really? what, what, not just lexus sure or Toyota. what i'm saying though is you have to know what those acronyms mean or you don't know what you're turning on and off and i, I just don't turned think off they relate everything. to this I, I don't think they relate to the the warning sensor does no, it sometimes it the tells you message. like sometimes the warning sensor the, sorry the message for the warning is like specific about what you're missing but it doesn't mention the name of the system yeah anyway that was irritating. <laughs> a more serious problem, though, happened on when I was returning the vehicle and we switched from a snowstorm to a rainstorm. We had like record setting rain a couple of days ago here. And I had to drive back on the highway for about an hour and a half driving the Grand Highlander. I had turned a bunch of the sensors back on because I'm like, OK, they're not going to turn off in the rain. Right. So like I'm not going to get the same warnings. The, the Grand Highlander allows you to use adaptive cruise control or regular cruise control, which is nice. If I remember correctly, it has that feature. But I was using the adaptive cruise control and it was raining very hard. Like not hard enough to be dangerous in terms of like a human being. Like I could see traffic ahead of me. It wasn't foggy or anything. But what would happen was I would be driving in traffic with adaptive cruise control on. And the vehicle would start accelerating towards the car that was in front of me. As though it wasn't there. And the first couple of times I couldn't figure out. That's a nightmare. It is. I couldn't figure out what was happening. I had to hit the brake. And then I would reactivate adaptive cruise control. And I started to watch the icons on on the gauge cluster. So when adaptive cruise picks up traffic in front of you, it puts a little icon of a car on the adaptive cruise control thing to let you know it can see the traffic. Okay, that's fine. Normally, that doesn't mean anything to me. Normally, I'm also seeing the traffic. So I just, excuse me. I'm just assuming that Toyota sees it too. But because the rain was, I guess, so hard, the little icon would fade away, even though there was a car directly in front of me and nothing had changed. Like, it's still the same distance. And then the Highlander would creep towards it. It would start accelerating towards it, and I would have to hit the brake. This happened three or four times in the space of 70 miles. And at I the, want to talk about, yeah, At the end terrifying. of the trip, I turned off the feature. I couldn't use it anymore because I could not rely on it. It yeah. was... It was, I don't use this word often when I'm talking about advanced safety, but I was frightened by this behavior because there's no warning. 
The mm-hmm. only warning is I had to be paying attention to my speed. It doesn't beep at you. It doesn't flash anything at you. It just can't see the car that's in front of you anymore. And it's very rare for adaptive cruise control to not function in the rain. The closest I've had this happen mm-hmm. was Ford Blue Cruise about a year ago where I was in a, a, a Mach-E and I was in a situation where it was raining very hard. There was a little bit of slush. In this case, the roads were clear in the Toyota, but with the Mach-E, there was a little bit of slush and I was in a construction zone where I had a median on on the left side, like a Jersey barrier. I wasn't driving that fast, maybe 45 miles an hour, and it kept accelerating towards the vehicle in front of me to the point where I had to turn it off. So those are the only two instances in the last few years where I can remember this happening. Um, I think it's important to talk about how automakers warn, or no, not warn, notify um the driver about what the sensors see and what they don't see i actually really appreciate cars that are upfront about um what they see and they don't see i think a lot of people have complained that this is too much um this might be distracting or too many beeping or something like that i have um an outback i think um subaru does this a lot they they have a bunch of settings that you can set um either with like a green light on the on the dashboard that says when it sees a car in front of it or when it sees the lanes that uh, it's supposed to be in um and then you can quickly tell whether or not the vehicle system is is operating correctly or not without panicking at the last second and i think that's really important because otherwise you're going to be caught off guard and you're going to be wondering if it's something you did did i turn on adaptive cruise control or not um or is it something on the on the car's um, and it does sound like your car had a couple of technical issues. I mean, complaining about being able about some of those sensors in the snow and then continuing those, con- like, I guess some sensors not really operating correctly in the rain. I don't know if there's technical normal. issues. I really feel that this is how these systems are designed and that these are valleys in the systems that whoever is designing them is not considering. These are, these are, I don't even know if I would call them edge cases. Is it really an edge case to drive in to a dr- snowstorm? Is that's really- when you want. That's when you want the safety systems to oh, work. We've already well, established crazy? that adapt uh, uh, that semi-automated systems can only be. used. It's like satellite TV. You can only enjoy it on bright, beautiful, sunny days. Like as soon as there's clouds or rain or snow, it's going to affect your picture. It's the same I kind also, of thing. That's annoying too because me, when it's beautiful outside, I want to be outside. When it's, yeah. when it's gnarly outside, that's I'm what be I'm inside. saying. That's what I'm saying. So <laughs> when when you need help the most, automated features are not there for you because sensor technology is not ready yet and yet we keep pushing these features into vehicles that's tough man that's what i have to say about that that's that so endeth the grand highlander review for today (laughs) okay well it's not the only thing we're talking about this week um because we've just heard a a news story from the cbc what was it called c2c cbc it's just a specific part of the cbc CBC news no there's a specific part of the cbc called go public go public um, where they have discovered that Kia Canada has been withholding, uh, car deliveries this quarter, um, for a reason. There, so at least it's happening in Ontario where mm-hmm. what happened was someone who works at a dealership leaked a call where a bunch of dealership reps, it was like a hundred of them, apparently were told that they were not allowed to release inventory to people who had already bought these cars because they were worried if they did that, Kia corporate back in Korea would not provide them with the necessary sales report support in 2024 because they were doing too well. Yeah. 
which seems this is insane. Kind of wild. Basically, they sold a bunch of cars, and they were worried Kia would view it as an overachievement and pull back resources from them and ask them to do more with less. I guess in the next yeah. twelve months. So. This becomes a problem if you've ordered a car and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and maybe you need to drive that car to work <laughs> yeah. or, you know, actually get the vehicle you've paid for or made a deposit for. A lot of owners are unhappy or I guess pr- prospective owners are unhappy about this. Some dealers are unhappy too. There's a lot of anonymous dealers talking because I guess they don't want to stir the pot, but they've said they've had multiple people come in during the last month or so and cancel their orders because they need a car now and they've yeah. been waiting for however long. And they're unhappy about it. So this is a a pretty intense situation that I don't think you would see very often in the automotive industry. It's very important to to point out now, though, that if if uh, the concern here is that if they apparently overachieve, they might not get the the marketing funds from Kia headquarters next year. And let me tell you, after this story, they're going to need some marketing funds to help uh, to help erase this kind of bad yeah, PR. So, so some of the, some of the there's comments from people who are in the call where dealerships are pushing back and saying, you know what, we don't need more marketing in 2024. We need more cars. Like yeah, I have yeah. more customers than I can get cars to. You know, and other people are saying they've been with the brand 20 years and they've never seen a dealer penalized for selling too many vehicles. So they didn't really understand why this was happening. Um, it, it also uh, a lot of people who work at these dealerships. They're not going to get their bonuses at, during the holidays, which are an expensive time for people. Like these cars aren't being put out the door in December. So whenever those happen, it's, it's already pushing their bonuses. It's already pushing their, as salespeople, their compensation for cars they've already sold well into the future. And it's totally out of their hands, right? So it just seems like a very strange situation. Um, Kia has That's, not it's commented dis- it's on disgusting. it. It's absolutely disgusting because... Everywhere in this industry, there are people waiting for cars, especially electric vehicles, um, and are put on massive waiting lists. And if you if you drove by this lot and see this compound, and you see all of these, let's say EV sixes or um, or um, Kia Niro EVs or Soul EVs, and you're wondering like, where is my car? Well, there's one person I, quoted in the story insane. who put a $500 deposit down on an EV6 in June of 2022. Oh, that's 18 months. Oh my God, he's he is still waiting for his vehicle, you know. And then to be told something like this, it's just so they can game their their own internal corporate now, funding it's, scheme. Whether it's Kia dealers here who are doing the gaming, or whether it's Kia corporate that is making a situation so that they have to do this gaming, I don't yeah. know. The only yeah. information we have is from this Go Public story. So I would invite anyone who has that information, uh, if anyone from Kia is listening, to reach out to us and kind of clarify what's happening here. Uh, Kia did not do that in the story. The the CBC, they said that they, they basically, um, I think they passed it on to their their. Canadian operations or their dealer operations is said to contact them. But uh, that's a rough, that's a rough situation. And I don't think that's going to, that's not going to turn out nicely for Kia Canada unless they resolve this. Yeah. Like Uh, they give people the cars they ordered. One last thing before we sign off for 2,204 is uh, we had Jason reach out to us again. Uh, He wanted to thank us for talking about mini SE versus bolt. He mentioned that he was listening to another podcast called batteries included where they, they actually answered a similar question. He wanted to know if we had a relationship with that podcast. We actually don't. I think that's just a comment. We should, maybe we should. Yeah. Uh, But on that podcast, someone also has suggested a BMW i3 or the i3 S 
or sorry, the I S I three I S I three F. No, it's the I three. It's the okay. I, I thought it was the I S because they made the special sport version, wasn't it? No, it's called the I the I the I three S. Okay, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, in any case, uh, as a possible alternative to the Mini SE or the Bolt, this was brought up. Sammy, I like the i3. Yeah. I think it drives nice. Okay. I, you're right, it is the i3s. I'm sorry. It is not really a competitive vehicle unless you're looking for a city car, I don't think. It does have that range extender that allows you to fuel the vehicle with gasoline that charges the battery and lets you drive when you run out of battery charge. But I believe it severely lowers the output of the battery when that happens. Is, is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, I believe so too. I, I, I think it limits the the uh, the, pa- the top speed, right? Yeah, well, and, and yeah. acceleration and all sorts of stuff. Like yeah. just not a lot of power. So I think bottom line for me, I like the i3. I think it has its place. I would take a bolt over the i3, no question, if the price was the same. Um, the i3 is also, it's getting on in years. This is a vehicle that was designed like the i8 to essentially, you know, proof of concept, a lot of what BMW was doing in terms of advanced design and electrification. And it really had its role. And if you can get a bargain on one, I don't think it's a bad vehicle, but I don't think it's the same level of practicality or modern uh, mm-hmm. driving experience as a Bolt. I agree. Um, it's a it's a fairly fun to drive vehicle, but I think maybe the Bolt and the Mini are, are more in- engaging. So that's uh, that's our thoughts on the i3. Uh, it's funny. Um, there is, I believe, uh, David at the Utopian has been trying to buy the world's cheapest i3. Okay. Like he was looking for a really long time for an i3 that had a battery <laughs> problem, or because there's like a there's a little known there's an extended warranty on some i3 batteries where no matter how old the vehicle is, if it was sold in a certain period. It can have a full battery replacement if it's below a certain level of efficiency at this time. Okay. And there's like a test you could. This is all from memory, but there's a test you can run on it to find out if your vehicle qualifies for that. And he ended up buying like I want to say a, a nine thousand dollar i three and getting like a twenty thousand dollar battery installed for free from BMW. But to get okay. the vehicle, it was something like 200 miles away from his house, and it took him like two days <laughs> because the battery had degraded so much, he couldn't drive it back home on a reasonable state of charge. So, uh, You know what? I really love the Autopian, and I think we should get some of their – actually, one of their editors, uh, Thomas Hundle, wanted to uh, wanted to comment on one of our, our recent uh, episodes. We should bring him on because he, he drove one of the cars that we were talking about, and uh, – and chat about it, right? Oh, they won't return my phone calls, Sammy. Oh, okay. I'll give it a try. So uh, if you would like to return my phone calls, but okay. do it electronically in text form, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Uh, you can reach out to us on social media. I'm on Instagram, where you can find me at Hunting Benjamin, or you can find Sammy on Twitter slash X slash whatever it's called. He's at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. You can also contact us on unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There is a contact form that you fill out and you click submit and it goes right to our inbox. Or you can email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. If you go on over to our website, Unnamed Automotive Podcast, you can see all of our previous episodes and you can find links to subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcast client. But I'm telling you, in the near future, we're going to be on YouTube, which I don't know if that means something, but... It doesn't uh, mean video, though. I don't think it no, means video. It, it just mean means video. YouTube but, podcast, which is like a new thing. 
or, or YouTube Music or something. So you can listen to us there and uh, provide that data to Google that makes us, I don't know, make money maybe, hopefully, who knows. Um, but that's exciting. And um, from me to you, I hope you guys have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And uh, Happy Hanukkah, which I believe just finished recently. And any other um, seasonal celebration that you might partake in, uh, I honestly just hope you get a chance to relax and take some time out of the world because uh, the world's kind of crazy and any time you can take for yourself is well worth it. Uh, when we come back in the new year, Sammy, I'm going to be talking about the X7, as I mentioned. It's the M60, which is the high-performance version that I have yet to drive. So I'm, I've am i got a lot of opinions about it and I want to okay. share them with you and with everyone. And I've got an Infiniti QX60, which is um, which is a modern Q Infiniti vehicle, I guess. <laughs> if you're looking for a luxury SUV, this is one. This is of them, yes. <laughs> All right, thank you for listening, everybody. See ya.